0: And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. Thank you for joining me today. I hope your day has been well, and I look forward to spending time with you. However much time we get together today, if you missed any of the show, I always encourage you to go to the podcast at myfaithradio.com. You can check it out there. My first guest, of course, is from the Heritage Foundation. He's also the executive editor at The Daily Signal. My friend and regular guest, Mr. Rob Bluey. Hello, Rob.
1: Hi, Bill. It's good to be back with you today.
0: You know, we have missed I, I'm sp- I'm speaking in ye old
1: English right now, but we have missed ye. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, it was a busy November, that's for <laughs> sure. Lots of lot between travel and election night and and all sorts of things. So it's uh, it's good to start uh, the month of December with uh, with a visit with you.
0: Yeah, and I will also say that all the people that that filled in for you on uh, were outstanding. You know, anywhere from Genevieve Wood to uh, to Sarah uh, Perry to Derek Morgan. It was an all star lineup.
1: That Well, they are certainly all-stars, there's no doubt about it, and you can always uh, rely on, on folks from the Daily Signal and the Heritage Foundation to help you out, Bill. So uh, regardless of the topic, we can usually find somebody to uh, to answer your listeners' questions, and uh, hopefully I can do that today as well.
0: Yeah, and uh, Derek Morgan is, is the executive uh, direct director there? or the Executive vice president. Executive vice president, so I, I encouraged him to give you a raise on air. I did say oh, that. Thank
1: you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know if it's come through or not yet, but anyway, I, I, I gave him my best shot, Rob.
1: Thank you, Bill. Well, yeah. and, uh, you know, I, I, I know, and uh, let me give you a shout out now, because I know that, uh, you know, in this time when a lot of people are making end of year uh, decisions, uh, you know, nonprofits like, like mine and yours, you know, rely on, on the support of, of listeners and our audience. So, uh, you know, a uh, big shout out to the, all the great work that you do at Faith Radio.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Well, I've got a couple of questions before we get started with some of the other topics uh, that I want to discuss, uh, some uh, listener questions. Let me start with this one. Uh, I think it was past Friday's Wall Street Journal about Republicans need to get behind early voting. My question for Rob is, why does it matter when we vote as long as we do? I guess I think early or mail-in voting equals cheating. Anyway, I don't exactly trust it.
1: Well, there, there's a good reason to be skeptical or, or not to trust it. And, and that's because, as my colleague Hans von Spakovsky, uh recently wrote uh, about mail-in voting— uh, if you had, say, a winning lottery ticket, would you put it in the mail to be cashed and to receive your your money? And the answer is probably no. You would want to take it in person to a location where you can hand that, that valuable possession uh, over to the proper authorities. Uh, and so why shouldn't we treat our ballots in the same way as we would a winning lottery ticket? And there are a number of reasons for that. Uh, mail-in or absentee ballots, are, they, they could be stolen. I mean, whether it be from a mailbox or whether it be from a drop box and that's unsecured in, in some location, uh, they, they could be altered, they could be forged. Uh, there are any number of, of things that uh, could happen if you don't vote in person. And so that's why We uh, at the Heritage Foundation encourage in-person voting whenever it's possible. We understand that there are sometimes extraordinary circumstances. I know in the Commonwealth of Virginia, for instance, for individuals who may be out of town on a a business trip or just unable to vote on Election Day, they have time in advance where you can go in person and and vote uh, absentee. And so there are any number of, of, of steps to do that. I think that the things we're most concerned about are those unsupervised drop boxes that mm-hmm. have popped up all over the country and mailing in your ballot, um, given the unreliability of the Postal Service and, uh, and, and the opportunity for people to perhaps uh, do mischievous things with it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Another question, uh, Rob Louie, is the recent revelations about the Hunter Biden laptop in the FBI and that's uh, another hot question that I think a lot of people are asking right now.
1: Well, it, it sure is. And it, it's in the news because on Friday night, Elon Musk uh, delivered to an independent journalist uh, a whole host of what they're calling the, t- the Twitter files. Uh, the Twitter files go through the decision-making process uh, and on the day that the New York Post story about Hunter Biden's laptop uh, was revealed and so there there are there there's the scandal around the laptop and then there's the reporting that uh, was withheld from many Americans on the eve of the 2020 presidential election now a subsequent poll but done by the media research center showed that had Americans known about the hunter biden laptop story and and the controversies uh, that were related to it That they very well may have changed their vote, which means that it could have impacted the outcome of the election, which is why I think you saw so many people outraged on Friday night when they saw what was transpiring. You had people from the Biden campaign who were lobbying Twitter to remove content that, uh, that they didn't like or disagreed with. You had executives and lawyers at Twitter who were making arbitrary decisions to withhold access to the New York Post, one of the oldest newspapers in this country, for its groundbreaking reporting on the Hunter Biden laptop story. And so there is uh, you know, certainly much more to uncover. Elon Musk has promised that uh, we, will, we will be seeing more uh, stories drop in in the coming days or weeks and i think what he's doing there is is a real great service uh to to all of us so we can get a better idea of the decisions that were taking place and i think he needs to do this this is one of the only ways he's going to be able to restore trust and and, and credibility in twitter is if he really changes the culture there and gets us back to a point where we can share information without worrying about somebody censoring it or or suppressing that uh, from people to to see mm-hmm
0: rob bluey is my guest executive editor at The Daily Signal. Rob, are Republicans using their new power in Washington to curtail wasteful government spending?
1: Well, they're going to have a big opportunity to do that this week, Uh, so it remains to be seen, but early indications do not look good, Bill. You and I have been talking about this and why it is a bipartisan problem. It's not one of those things that you can blame exclusively on Republicans or Democrats. They are both guilty of spending far too much and not respecting our tax dollars. Uh, The latest example just happened um, last week. For years, Republicans swore off earmarks. They said those pork barrel projects that go to benefit uh, really narrow niche uh, interests in in congressional districts, you know, were not something that they were going to partake in or engage in. Now, the year, you know, when Democrats retook control of Congress during the Trump presidency, they started to walk back some of those rules, uh, earmarks started to make a comeback. I never expected Republicans after in 2010, they decided that they were going to ban them to bring them back here just a dozen years later. But that is exactly what happened. And it happened overwhelmingly. Uh, It wasn't even a close vote. So yes, Republicans will have earmarks in the new Congress. They are organizing and setting the rules for the new Congress now. So some of your listeners may be saying, well, wait a second, they don't get control for another month. Uh, they start setting the, the rules and uh, and the way they're going to operate now. Uh, and then the other big fight that uh, you're, you're referencing is what they're going to do when, government spending, when the government spending bill runs out on December 16th. And it looks like there will probably be maybe a short-term uh, continuing resolution to get us up right up until the Christmas deadline. And then they'll have to decide whether they're going to I pass a big omnibus spending bill, which would increase government spending well beyond uh, what, we're, what we what we have uh, available to us, uh, so it would increase the deficit and, and add more to the debt? Or do they do a short-term bill that gets them to the early months of the new year, when you might have a Republican House and a Democratic Senate? And we all know that when you have divided government, uh, there's it, it works out for the taxpayer much better, because they're Two parties are usually at odds and you have to negotiate and come up with a a resolution that is not necessarily going to be adding trillions of dollars uh, to our national debt as we have done over the last few years during the COVID pandemic.
0: Mm -hmm. Rob, so with the Democrats uh, um, in power still in Congress, will there be any new spending before the newly elected Congress takes
1: over? Well, there, there there will there will be some, um, but it, it remains to be seen whether it will be new spending, meaning spending on top of what we're already doing, or whether they will just extend the spending levels that they passed earlier this year. And so that's what they call a continuing resolution. There are many people who don't like a continuing resolution, including our U.S. military, because it's very difficult for them to plan and make the types of acquisitions that they need to do. So it's it's not ideal. But when you have a situation where all of the big spenders are in the decision-making seats, the best solution would be for this to be delayed until January or maybe early February when a better outcome could be realized. You might remember back during President Obama's tenure, uh, Republicans were in control of Congress. Uh, Speaker John Boehner uh, was in in the U.S. House at the time, and they had some high-stakes negotiations between them, and they came up with the Budget Control Act. And the Budget Control Act saved us an incredible amount of money uh, because there was divided government again and the two parties had to get together and come to a resolution. You might even go back a little farther when Newt Gingrich was Speaker and Bill Clinton was in the White House and we actually had a balanced budget, believe it or not. Uh, we're a far away uh, from, from those days, of course, but uh, there, are, uh, there are some basic things that, uh, that Congress could do to, to save taxpayers money and hopefully start to trim that national debt.
0: Mm -hmm. If you have a question for Rob Bluey, please text it over to me, 877-933-2484. If you have any question about what's going on in our world, our government, let us know. We'd be happy to uh, ask Rob. And also, you can't change someone's journey, but you can certainly encourage them in the middle of it. Uh, Pray to see how you might be the hands and feet of Jesus this Christmas, for someone and let Faith Radio know of the need so we might be able to bless them with a $500 Visa gift card so if you have someone in your um, in your world that's really needs encouragement and is struggling you can uh, go give hope for Christmas at myfaithradio.com we'll take a short break and be right back with Rob We only play that music when Rob Bluey's on the show. That is his walk-up music. Rob Bluey is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can head over to dailysignal.com. Rob, a question just came in. Isn't there a problem with deciding who the speaker of the house will be?
1: There certainly is, because (laughs) it is such a narrow margin in the house. It's actually a mere opposite of what it was, what it is in the current 117th Congress. So Democrats have 222 seats and Republicans will have that same number come January. And that leaves Kevin McCarthy very little room to maneuver. There are already five Republicans. Um, so that's more than, uh, that that could throw a, a wrench in his plans, who have said that they will not support him as Speaker. Wow. Uh, now, the, the thing about this is it's not just – it's a vote, so he needs a majority of the entire House, so all 435 members need to vote. And that means the Democrats could have a say ultimately in who becomes Speaker. Uh, They have thrown out some people like Liz Cheney uh, as as a possibility where if you get enough moderate Republicans, you know, and you really you don't need a whole lot here. We're only talking a, a handful who would need to cross over. You, Democrats could be mischievous, and that's why it's ca- caused some consternation, particularly among Republicans and conservatives because you know, they recognize that you might be playing with fire here if uh, if they do reject McCarthy and there's no other Republican who is able to get the votes uh, you know and you are able to peel off uh, a ha- Democrats are able to peel off a handful of people you know they could be uh, setting the setting the rules so I don't know what's going to happen. This is going to be an interesting fight. We won't know, of course, for about a month, Bill, because that's when they when they pick the, the new speaker. Um, and uh, and ultimately, it might end up being Kevin McCarthy. Certainly, he's acting like he uh, will get the job, and he very well might, but uh, he has some work to do yet uh, before he secures that nomination. One of the things that, uh, that, that Republicans are watching, which is why I think it was important, we talked about that earmarks vote um, before the break, is uh, what type of rules will Republicans put in place? Will they put in, in place some rules that will allow for you know more amendments on the floor, for instance? Will they put in place uh, a rule that allows you to vacate uh, the chair, which is what, what Mark Meadows successfully used to depose John Boehner uh, years ago? So all sorts of things are being negotiated behind the scenes, and, uh, and, and Kevin McCarthy might be able to buy himself enough votes to get there, uh, but he has some work to do yet.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Here's something. Let's go to Pendleton, Indiana, just for this story. And there was an email last summer sent by a counselor at Pendleton Heights High School informing teachers that a student had changed genders, provided new pronouns, and said teachers should not inform the student's parents because they were not supportive of the decision.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, th- these these stories uh, are are just incredible. Uh, first of all, a big shout out to Tony Kinnett, who is our, our new investigative reporter for The Daily Signal, who broke this story. And uh, for listeners out there who hear about these things in, in their own community, just a reminder that, that The Daily Signal would love to be able to tell uh, those stories – in this particular case though bill like like so many others that i think we increasingly see happening across the country it is it's just a head scratcher that uh that, that actions like this are taking place at school uh parents are being cut out of decision the decision making process uh schools are are in, engaging in behavior that i don't think is a, is appropriate to be taking place there and is best left uh to to those uh in the home so I uh, I think it's important that we do do the work of exposing what's what's happening and and really honor the the courageous uh, school officials who are speaking all, out often anonymously to to share this information and make sure that uh, the public knows about what's happening. Yeah, well,
0: things have changed. I I remember a, a friend of mine in high school got caught chewing gum in the hallway, and I think the teacher called his parents. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know right? for chewing gum, which I guess you were supposed to do. And so now you can apparently change genders, and you don't. And they're going to keep the parents from knowing. Well, the, yeah, and the, look, there
1: there are still some things that uh, that you you will get a phone call about. There's no there's no <laughs> doubt about it. I mean, I have, mm-hmm. I have kids in school as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it, how these schools can think that it is a, a good decision to operate without. Involving the parents or, or having a conversation, I, I think just speaks to the success that that those in, in, in this radical transgender movement have been able to impose their their agenda and their beliefs uh, on on so many officials in of schools. I, I think it started long ago. Uh, I, I think it probably is is something that uh, happens when they're in, in in teaching colleges or administrators uh, at conferences are are told to operate this way. And we need to push back. I think that that's why there's such a robust effort on the part of homeschoolers and uh, school choice advocates uh, to create alternatives. And so if parents are are frustrated and fed up with public schools, they can take their kids to another location. That's why what Arizona did in this past year in terms of creating universal school choice and, and an education savings account where parents would actually receive uh, $7,000 that they could apply toward their kids' education from the state uh, is so transformational. And I think other states will be moving in that direction. It's one of the one of the things that not only uh, was a result of what happened during COVID when parents got a, a closer view of, of what was happening in their schools, but also when they hear about stories like the one we're talking about today.
0: Rob Blue is my guest. He is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can always go to dailysignal.com to check out uh, Rob and his colleagues who write uh, there at dailysignal.com. Let's talk, Rob, about China and their zero COVID folly. Yes, we have a hard time sure telling is. the truth, don't we?
1: Oh, it sure is. Uh, it, it, I mean, it, um, it it's an example, an encouraging example, Bill, of how the protests in China have, have led to some changes on the part of the Chinese Communist Party. Of course, uh, changes that Really, uh, should have happened long ago. Uh, the zero COVID approach, uh, uh, of course, may have been something that was worth trying at the beginning, but two years on is uh, is certainly almost three is is not uh, a workable solution. And the Chinese people have ha- have had enough. I mean, they are already living under a regime that devalues their their freedom, and to take away. Their dignity and ability to to live their lives in any meaningful way uh, by locking them in their their homes and apartments is is receiving the the type of blowback that you would expect, um, even from from you know people who are generally accustomed to to living with less freedom than they than we do here in the United States. Uh, I I think it also you know is an example of of what. the leader there, uh, Xi Jinping, uh, is is attempting to perhaps push the envelope and in, in how much authority he can impose on the Chinese people, particularly as he sets his sights on on other ambitious plans, whether it be a, a, across the. The straight there uh, to Taiwan or maybe even uh, economically in terms of being a an adversary with the United States. And so China is is definitely worth keeping an eye on. Uh, They are are oftentimes up to no good. And it is uh, it is definitely, you know, a situation that uh, that we need to closely monitor.
0: Mm -hmm. Rob, what is the reform bill that Senator Joe Manchin is proposing?
1: Yeah, well, uh, Joe Manchin, uh, of course, w- is a, a key vote on the part of Democrats uh, to get things through. And so remember back when President Biden was pushing his Build Back Better uh, initiative, uh, Joe Biden for a long time was withholding his support. He had concerns about the bill. He's he's what would, would be a, a, a rare breed in Washington, a moderate Democrat with Kirsten Sinema. And the two of them can decide a lot of uh Make a lot of decisions based on withholding their vote and and, and attempting to compromise. So he wanted reform of permitting, and uh, and he said uh, that he would give his vote for this 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 bill if uh, Democrats in exchange brought up his his proposal. Uh, but we we certainly don't like what what's included in this proposal, and we think that it would send us down a a, a very uh, difficult and 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 certainly a troubling path when when our country is already facing so many challenges on the energy front Uh, we need to be in a situation where we're producing greater energy uh all of the above uh, sources of energy and and mansion's proposal does not uh, get us there uh in in many ways it would hamper the uh electricity system and network in in the united states and it's uh it's a short-sighted effort uh and one that uh we strongly oppose for for those reasons Uh, whether it actually makes its way um In in the Congress is is another question. There's a lot they're trying to get done here in the lame duck, which is why, in general, your listeners should be skeptical of anything Congress is trying to push through in the lame duck, because oftentimes it's no good, and it's uh, often uh, supported by lawmakers who won't have a seat in just a few weeks.
0: Mm -hmm. Rob, is today the runoff vote in Georgia?
1: It is. Uh, all eyes on on Herschel Walker mm-hmm. and uh, Raphael Warnock. Uh, this will not determine control of the Senate because Democrats will already have 50 seats. But by having 51, it will have big implications on a few other things. Right now, all of the committees in the Senate are split 50-50, um, so uh, that means that Republicans have an equal number of, of staff. Uh, that means if they deadlock on a vote, it could be hard to uh, advance certain things out of some committees, and uh, and it requires the effort of, of Kamala Harris. Um, and, and Manchin's vote actually becomes a little less important if you have 51, because that means you have some wiggle room there mm-hmm. uh, for Democrats to get things ac- across the finish line. Uh, Manchin, for instance, was the only Democrat who voted for the religious Liberty. Liberty Amendment that Mike Lee offered last week on the same-sex marriage bill. So, I mean, there are times when he crosses over to vote with Republicans more so than other Democrats. Uh, but you know, it's uh, it's going to to be um, a decision uh, that the Georgia voters make, and we'll be closely watching that. And whoever wins, uh, will certainly be in a position to have a big influence. Yeah. And uh, some are talking about Warnock as a potential future presidential candidate, wow. Herschel Walker, uh, of course, from sports fame. So two big uh, personalities there.
0: Yeah. And Rob, the independent candidate is not included in the runoff. So everyone who voted for that person, if they choose to go vote now, will have to vote for Warnocker or Walker.
1: Correct. Okay. It's, uh, it's it's one-on-one and the, the winner take all.
0: All right. Sounds good. Rob, thank you so much. So great having you back. Look forward to next week. Thanks, Bill. Have a great week. Thank you. Rob Blue has been my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. We're going to take a little break, and then we're going to come back uh, with Dr. Alex McFarland. I can't wait to chat with my buddy Alex. We'll be right back.
2: Show with Bill time drive time Let's get it started Jump in your car
1: yeah. What's for dinner yeah. It's the afternoon show
0: with Bill I'm always glad to have Alex McFarland help me process things that I hear or read about and today's no exception. Alex is a regular guest on the show, always uh, happy when he can come on and uh, I'm. you can always learn about Alex at alexmcfarlane.com. Alex, welcome. Well, thank you, Bill. And hey, Merry Christmas. Yeah, I'm happy to say Merry Christmas to you as well. Well, thanks. So speaking of Christmas parties, I think I sent you this article. I'm not sure you received it or not, but there was a Virginia restaurant that canceled the Christmas party after some of the staff
2: refused to serve Christians. How about that? Uh, Yeah, I got that that link you sent me to that news story. That's just... Uh, A humbug worthy of Ebenezer Scrooge, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, they sent him uh,
0: 90 minutes in advance saying, we have canceled your party because some of the LGBTQ uh, and staff feel uncomfortable and unsafe because you are Christians.
2: Wow. Isn't that something? I think so. Uh you know I realize this is not the level of persecution perhaps that people in you know North Korea or North Africa or Islamic countries face you know where uh, believers in Jesus Christ really they you know put their life on the line to go public with their Christianity but I would say it is a it's a, an increasing level of persecution here in in the West and in America that It's ironic on two fronts, because our country that has enjoyed a liberty and a freedom uh, that all the other nations in world history would look at with awe and envy, but yet our freedom, human rights, liberty, comes from a Christian worldview. And so, you know, the um, LGBTQ trans restaurant staff that lives their life safely, prosperously, they are the beneficiaries of the Christian worldview. And yet they would say they won't serve Christians. Um, how about some tolerance there from the uh, professed tolerant left? It's just, it, it's it's so ironic, Bill, you hardly know where to jump on the train and comment.
0: Yeah, I mean, have you ever been denied a meal because of your beliefs?
2: Not so far, but it may be coming soon to a city near you.
0: Well, I mean, there wasn't too long ago a time in our country that you you were denied a meal because of the color of your skin so you know there we do have a history of this happening but i yeah. I, I think of people like jack phillips the cake maker and he or was Baronelle forced Dutchman. yeah or Baronel. and being forced to create a wedding cake as part of the celebration of a same sex marriage yet this uh, restaurant staff feel uncomfortable having christians come in and be guests in a restaurant
2: well, wow. I mean, can you imagine, I, um, you know, I, I'm from Greensboro, North Carolina, right there in central North Carolina. Very famously, there is a place on the National Registry of Historic Places, and it's a place that's on the docket to become a world heritage site. In downtown Greensboro, North Carolina is a building that was a Woolworth uh, five and ten cent store. Woolworth was a chain, called, we called it the dime store. Mm-hmm. But it, very famously in 1960, uh, four black college students went into the Woolworth lunch counter and very, very respectfully and peaceably tried to buy a, like a 10 cent cup of coffee. And at first they were denied service, and then eventually they were served. And the Woolworth lunch counter in Greensboro, North Carolina, some of your listeners may remember this, but it was the first public restaurant in the USA that was integrated, and blacks and whites would dine together. And I had the privilege back on the 4th of July week, Bill, Fox News did a piece there, and and I I went to the actual lunch counter where I, I had eaten as a little boy. We would go there because they were, you know, famous, they had, you know, really good food, it was kind of a a lunch counter you could eat while mom and dad shopped, and I, I ate there, and I'm showing my age here, but this is 69, 70, 71, 72, a long time ago. Well, they had never allowed film crews in there to film, it's a very, it's, now it's called the National Civil Rights Museum, and July 4th week, Fox News came down from New York and interviewed me, and I got to Be there and comment on how human rights and freedom and liberty and equality is a direct outgrowth of the Judeo Christian biblical worldview on which our nation was founded, Bill. Now, my point is this could you imagine, could you imagine the apocalypse that would ensue if a server said, you know, I I won't serve Muslims because I'm afraid of Islam, Hmm. or, you know, I won't serve. Um, Buddhist or Hindu or whomever, because, you know, I disagree with their beliefs. But yet, you know, professed homosexuals and trans people, or at least people that are pro-trans ideology, can refuse to serve a Christian, and from the the uh, social justice warriors, there's nary a peep in defense of the Christians, is there?
0: No, there is not. Yeah.
2: Why is that, you think? <laughs>
0: I think uh, there is hostility against uh, anything related to God and Jesus, and there is going to always be persecution and hostility towards anything related to the the work that God has on this earth.
2: So, here's the thing. Selective tolerance is intolerance. I agree. Say more about now, that. N- now... Uh, I love the Lord. I love people. I love dialoguing with people. I really do because I'm, I'm always trying to find out, like, where are people coming from? But Bill, you and I both, we've talked about culture, and it's been my privilege to speak at a lot of colleges, a couple of hundred American universities. Um, and I, I will say this. And look, we're all sinners. I'm a saved sinner. I've put my faith in Jesus. But human beings are hypocrites. We say one thing, we do another thing. Human beings are very selective, and and we're guilty sinners. We we pride ourselves on our you know impartiality and equality, and yet uh, there's always a line we draw about how far we'll go, and so we're we're not honest consistently, we're not tolerant consistently, and let me just say of. Some of the most intolerant people, some of the most r- frankly angry and vindictive people with whom I've dialogued, have been atheists, secularists, liberals, pro-gay, pro-abortion uh, can be just pretty pretty nasty. So I would just uh, humbly and contritely remind the, the social justice warriors. That selective tolerance is intolerance, mm-hmm. and if you're going to be the messiahs of the world to make it a tolerant, inclusive world, that inclusion—if you're—if we're going to even begin to take you seriously, that inclusion should include tolerance of followers of the Lord Jesus Christ.
0: Mm, I would agree. A thoughtful listener just texted me: How is this not discrimination from the LGBT? T crew.
2: Uh, well, it absolutely is, mm-hmm. and, and the fact is, despite all of their, you know, lofty uh, jargon, they, they are discriminatory. And and let me just say this: uh, the the line in their in the sand that they draw is, you know, either you embrace what I say about sexuality, either you uh, affirm me, or that's treason. Mm-hmm. Well, if Fidelity to you means treason against my God and Savior. That's, that's a bridge too far. <laughs> hey, I love you. I'm for you. If your house was on fire, I would try to rescue you. But look, if betrayal of the Lord Jesus is what I have to do to earn your favor, uh, sorry it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm.
0: Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. Alex, if we may uh, transition, I'm curious, um, this is a church and ministry type question, but I know this has come up at Faith Radio a lot when there's a Q&A situation, and people are often asking, why are there so many denominations? What's up with that?
2: Uh, great question, great question. Well, l- let me say th- there are not so many denominations because there are differences to the gospel. A lot of times, um, people have said to me, they'll say, you know, well, what, what Christianity am I supposed to believe when there are so many different versions? There really aren't. I had the privilege of interviewing, uh, an author several years ago, Dr. Stephen Prothero, who wrote about the fact that, and he, he's a religion professor at, uh, Boston College in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Okay. And he, he was thinking that, his assumption was, you know, there must be so many different varieties and so many different flavors of Christianity, and he he got down to the fact that, believe it or not, um, the, the Christian denominations are surprisingly unified in their message. Now, the Christian message says, look, the biblical God exists, the Trinity. Uh, The Bible is the Scripture, the Word of God. Jesus is the Son of God, and what he did on the cross, he died for our sins. And by faith, we come into a relationship with Christ, and we appropriate that forgiveness for ourselves. And it's amazing how, actually, how unified the, the voice of the church is. Now, I know there are individual churches that deviate. There are individual ministers that may deviate even from the denominational standards of their own, you know, uh, affinity group. But there are so many denominations really for two reasons. Denominations are originally groups of Christians pooling their resources for world missions and greater impact. The Baptists came together and they started something called the Cooperative Program and that was a world missions initiative. And there were the, you know, Methodist groups and just all sorts of groups that would, like-minded believers that would come together for world missions. Now, also denominations would form to emphasize or defend what they believe were some denominational distinctives that are, you know, really secondary. The primary things, who is God, what did Jesus do, and how do I know the Lord, and is Scripture the Word of God? And again, on the essentials, which I write about in my book, Stand, Core Truths You Must Know for an Unshakable Faith, on the essentials, Inspiration of Scripture, virgin birth, deity, atonement, resurrection, return. The church, Bill, has spoken with an amazingly consistent unified voice for 2,000 years. But on distinctives, and I could, I could give examples, you know, some denominations believe in eternal security, and some believe you could lose your salvation. Some denominations emphasize, you know, the election, a sovereignty of God, but the uh, the essentials, the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins, Protestant, Catholic, Greek, Orthodox, across the board, we believe those. So all of that to say this, don't let the plethora of denominations cause you to doubt Christianity. It's really almost the plethora of denominations show that Christianity works mm. and, and is applicable for all sorts of people of all sorts of temperaments and priorities. But the basics, the Son of God who died and rose again, they're acknowledged by all true Christian groups, and there are so many.
0: Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, I've got a question for you about uh, evil. I know that seems like uh, what a lovely transition uh, (laughs) going into break, but when we come back, the passage is Isaiah 45, verse 7. I'm going to ask Alex about that. We'll be right back in just a minute. We want to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're creating encouraging posts every day to help you focus on the important things as you spend time on social media from graphics that feature Bible verses and quotes from our hosts and show guests to articles about topics you are interested in to videos from our hosts. Search Faith Radio on social media sites to connect with us today. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. always love having Alex on the show. Alex, I got a question for you about um, does God create evil? Because I'm looking at Isaiah chapter 45, verse 7, and it says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Well,
2: hey, let me say Bill Arnold asks really good questions. (laughs) (laughs) Um, we, we have a good time talking because you and I we we talk about some some deep things, and uh, w- uh, I had the privilege of having you on one of our broadcasts recently. And as always, you you uh, you're you're a great host. You were a great guest, but uh, the, these things are worth talking about: the nature of evil, like what is evil and what is the origin of evil. Because um, Bill, I would say the the Christian worldview, the biblically informed worldview has good answers, compelling answers, satisfactory answers, but I would say the Christian worldview really kind of is the only one that actually can answer these these heavy questions like this. Would you agree? No, absolutely. Mhm. Yeah. So, let's talk about what evil is. And by the way, there have been a lot of, you know, really smart people that have uh picked up this uh issue, like I think about like Augustine who lived uh, 354 to 430 he lived about 1600 years ago. And so there was a line of reasoning, Bill. People would say, okay, if God created everything and evil is a thing, God must have created evil. And you know, in the eastern world there's like the yin and the yang, like good and evil are forever entwined in this cosmic dance. The Christian world view is not like that. What I, what most scholars and I think You know, past would be people like Augustine and C.S. Lewis, and more recently would be some great thinkers like Norm Geisler and William Lane Craig. All right, evil is a parasite that has to have a host. Okay, God created the world, and that's good. But what evil is is a a degradation or a privation. Now, because God is righteous. Uh, what God does is righteous, and evil is something contrary to the nature of God. Sin is that which is contrary to God, that which is against his word, his His essence, and sin is that which brings death. God, by nature, is the foundation of life. So, it's been said, uh, God didn't create evil. But you, you could say God created the possibility of evil by giving us free will. So we can choose to do right or we can disobey and do wrong. Now, in terms of the Isaiah passage, you know, is there evil and did I not do it? Some have said, and, and really this is, um, a worldview, and I know I'm getting kind of deep here, called voluntarism. See, let's ask two questions. Bill, have you ever heard the question, like, is something right because God did it, or did God do it because it's right? Mm-hmm. I have heard that. Yeah. In in what we would call classical orthodoxy, um, thinkers, and, and I think of uh, not only some of the early church fathers, um, but some of the more modern people, like C.S. Lewis, would say, look, God does something because it's right. Now, voluntarism which is really more like the view of of Islam, like Allah, says God, uh, if something happens, it's right because God did it. For instance, in the Islamic worldview or the deterministic worldview, um, even something like terrorism could be right because God did it. But in the classically orthodox Christian worldview, uh, God will only do that which is righteous, moral, good, in harmony with his nature. Now, this some people might groan, but it's really about the only thing we could say. God doesn't cause evil. Now, God might allow something, but I want to interject two words in the conversation, and the word is ultimate and proximate. Now, ultimate means way down the road, in a final sense, Everything that God does or God has allowed will bring ultimate good. But in a proximate sense, like close proximity, it might be it might look pretty tragic or evil or or heartbreaking. Uh, you know I, I think about like um some of the shootings. Do you know in in the last ten years, there have been a hundred and nine school shootings. And that's terrible, and that's bad, and we don't minimize the evil of that. And like Eastern thought, we don't say it's an illusion. Or like determinism or voluntarism, we don't say, well, God willed it. No, God didn't will it. However, God did allow it. But the Christian worldview says God is so powerful and so merciful that he can take proximate evil and from it bring ultimate good. Um, safety measures are implemented. People begin to pray. Um, people begin to rediscover that young people need morals and so the the Christian answer to the problem of pain and evil is that, yes, evil is real, but it 's a result of humans and angels using their free will contrary to god 's purposes there 's angelic evil that's from demons, and there's human evil, that's from sinners. Mm -hmm. But God is so powerful that while he might allow an evil thing to happen, uh, ultimately he'll bring good from it and use it to draw people to himself. I know that's a lot to swallow, but God is not the author of evil, but he does even rein in evil to achieve Ultimately, good purposes. Mm-hmm. No, I appreciate that very much, and I'm going to
0: listen to the podcast again because I need to go through it one more time when I'm not on air. But
2: that was awesome, so thank you for that. I have another. I, I know people probably think, why can't a, a, a preacher say something short in, in short words? Or, <laughs> why do preachers have to talk so much? Sorry, it's just it requires it sometimes.
0: No, I, I like it very much. I prefer a long answer, by the way, just so you know. So this question I've been thinking about all week, and I don't know how you are when it comes to personal criticism about you, Alex McFarlane. Nobody likes criticism. I don't know how you handle it. But I'm thinking of the comment that Jesus makes in Mark chapter 14 about Judas. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And you think, well, that's kind of the most sobering statement I maybe have ever heard. Now, was it the betrayal of handing him over to the authorities Could God have forgiven Judas for that? I mean, he forgave Peter for denying Jesus. So why is it better to not have been born?
2: Well, I, I think in the case of Judas Iscariot, it's because he did things in this life that would render him eternally separated from God. You know, uh, elsewhere, Jesus asked the question, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Mm -hmm. And the answer is, uh, there's no profit in that whatsoever. I mean, uh, rich, famous, powerful, you you may be all of those things, and there's nothing inherently wrong with being blessed and wealthy, to be well-known, to be powerful. But, look, if you're poor but go to heaven because you've trusted the Lord Jesus, then you're blessed. Mm -hmm. But you could have all of the world's accoutrements, and if you die without Christ, all of that money, that wealth, that notoriety, it it means nothing. So in the case of Judas, the Mark 14, 21, uh look, it it was such guilt that he was with the Lord. Judas was with the Lord, one of the twelve, for three years. Mm Mm-hmm. He saw the miracles. He knew that he was deity, the Son of God. But, Bill, this is kind of a big thing. Um, Barabbas that was released was part of a sect that wanted to start a war with Rome and overthrow Rome. Um, and it's uh, historians believe that Judas and Barabbas knew each other. And so when it became clear that the first coming of Christ, Jesus came as a suffering servant to pay for our sin debt. Now, Jesus will return as a victorious, conquering king, and it may be very soon. But here's the thing. When Judas conspired uh, to sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, and, and he knew that Jesus fulfilled all the criteria of Messiahship, but it wasn't who they wanted. They wanted somebody that could uh, rally the people to go to war with Rome, mm. and that wasn't God's purpose. God's purpose was to pay our sin debt. Um, It would be better that he had never been born because he rejected the Messiah and sold him out, and then he went out there and he felt such guilt, he committed suicide, and he's in hell now. And that's, I think, Judas would agree. Uh, he wished he had never been born Let me just say this to anybody listening. Um, God loves you so much, and life can be very hard. There's so many times we ask, why? Why did this happen, or why didn't this other thing happen? And I, I just would urge people, don't turn away from the Lord because God hasn't presented himself in the way that you initially wanted. God has presented himself in... Not always what we want, but what we need. And what we need is not merely a better life situation. We need redemption. Mm, We need to be regenerated and made alive. And that's what Jesus died and rose again Mm -hmm. to give us if we'll put our faith in him.
0: Thank you, Alex. Have a great rest of the evening, and I look forward to chatting with you again in a few weeks. Bless you, Bill Arnold. Thank 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 you you so much. much, my friend. We'll be right back with Jeff Verdorn.